Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And uh, listener, you've you've just missed out on the best JLA discussion you'll never hear. Yeah, that happens sometimes. We we start talking JLA and then we re Now you were very eloquent. You were very eloquent when we didn't have the microphones turned on, PJ. That's how it always goes. Now the microphones on, I can't speak and also I can feel like I need to burp. Oh, well, um if you if you can give me enough of a warning, I can I can edit it out in post if you want to. Excellent. I mean, sometimes they just come out, John, so great. We'll have to see how this goes. Wonderful. Um, I um, I heard something shocking uh, this week, PJ. Yeah? I heard uh, from a reputable source that Heroes Reborn by Marvel actually quite readable. I mean, I think I want more than... It's fairly readable in order for me to go, I'm going to go read it then. Isn't it weird? Like, if they had called it anything else... And anything else, I would be, I, I, I would have no preconceptions. I would just be like, oh, fun, fun, fun. They're doing a world without the Avengers again. I, I swear that's been done a few times before. Yeah. Um, but why, why on, you know, um, Rao's Green Earth or Red Earth, would you, would you call it Heroes Reborn? It's mad to me. I, I cannot understand it. Because the comic industry is slowly eating itself. Yeah, that's probably fair. I was trying to think of an example. I was going to say it'd be like it would be like running an X Men story and calling it something like the Dark Phoenix Saga. Only it's brand new, and it's actually nothing to do with the Phoenix. No, that's probably like a bad analogy. Would it be like if you did a series called Secret War? And it was absolutely nothing to do with the Beyonder or Battleworld or anything that happened in the original Secret Wars. You know, PJ... Oh, wait, Marvel did that. PJ, that is... That's a wild notion. I don't know what you're what you're <laughs> suggesting there. Although, that was probably like the last Marvel comic I read. Sorry, listener, I'm putting it out there. I'm no longer current or relevant. Um, but yeah, I, I read all of Hickman's... Well, actually, no, sorry. Oh, no, I'm talking about the Bendis secret war from the mid-2000s that was just Nick Fury sent some superheroes undercover into Latveria. Then what am I... Oh, God, what am I thinking of then? The Hickman secret wars at least has still had Battleworld and the Molecule Man involved, so 
there were story elements that tied it to the original Secret Wars. But yeah, because that was Hickman's version of Secret Wars from, what, four or five years ago now? Yeah, wait, so hang on a minute. We've got the original Secret Wars. The Secret Wars, which was, I want to say, 85, 86? Yes. And then, like, a year or two after, there was Secret Wars 2. Two Secret Um, 2 Wars. Yeah. (laughs) But then they didn't call anything Secret Wars for ages... And then suddenly, in about 2005, Bendis released Secret War. Which was very much his prototype New Avengers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just before Disassembled, I think. And it was Nick Fury sent heroes into Latveria without telling anyone he was doing it. And it meant that they all got cool new undercover costumes. You know, it's funny, PJ, looking back, the signs were all there of what would become the hallmarks of Bendis's run. <laughs> I'm, think, I'm thinking needless new costumes constantly being one of them. Um, but yeah, yeah. And wasn't that drawn by... Oh, I might have got this wrong. Addy... Is it Addy Grav... Gravov? Granov. Granov, um, yeah. It was definitely painted art. I can't remember if it was Granov or if it was... I feel like it might have been someone else because it was all very dark. Like, Granov's art, you do get the colours. This was sort of very... Lots of blacks and greys. What would be... You see, I was thinking... Because I was trying to... I was going to... When I was trying to pick an analogy there, I was trying to go like, oh, it would be like DC doing a current event with Crisis in the title. But actually, they do that every other week, so that's not the issue. Um, Okay, PJ, what's like a really obscure... Not very good uh, 90s DC event book. You're going to make me say it, aren't you? Uh, there are many many to choose from. I think we've referenced a few on, on this show. What's that? The, the John Byrne one that I read all four issues of. <laughs> uh, Genesis? Genesis, there yeah. you go. Wasn't Have there also um, there's that one about hell? Day of Judgment. Day of Judgment. Was Day of Judgment all right? I remember sort of enjoying it at the time yeah. um, I don't know if it would hold up to a revisit these days to be honest but yeah it was okay I think and like the month after they did another one Joker's Last Laugh right and was that related in any way or was that something completely nope. different? Nope like a month after Day of Judgment they started Joker's Last Laugh which was basically about Joker learning he had terminal cancer and therefore turning all the supervillains in the world into jokerized versions of themselves. Oh. So you had in you had the main mini um where it turned out a doctor had lied about him having cancer because he thought it would be a funny joke to play on the joker. Um but the, then you had like every hero's book that month. So JLA I think they they fought a jokerized um Dr. Polaris. Yes, actually because I uh, sorry, I thought that was when you said it, I thought that was earlier, but yeah, I actually have the trade that has that issue yeah. in. Yeah, uh, Superman fought a Jokerized Doomsday, which was also, as well as being that, it was like issue a special double-sized issue because it was one of the numbers divisible by 50, and it was to celebrate, I think, the 10th anniversary of the death of Superman. Right. <laughs> Superman, dead and loving it, or... Um... <laughs> I don't really remember much about it. I don't think it had any real... I think it was Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness did that issue, so... I, 
Didn't the Joker also... Oh, God, I'm sorry, everyone. This is terrible DC knowledge on my part. But wasn't there also a storyline where Joker gained the powers of Mr... Mixed Patilic. Thank you, PJ. You're better at that. Uh, yeah, Emperor Joker. But that was just contained to the Superman books. And that was actually... I quite liked that story, to be honest. I think that was all right. And isn't that where the character of Scorch was introduced? Uh, I believe so, but don't hold me to that. Yeah, because I... And maybe we'll get to it in time. But I, uh, I collected a lot of the... Uh, I think the Joe Kelly and Doug Mank hmm. run on JLA, which was post-Wade. Uh, post and uh, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. And, um, yeah, there was a storyline there where Jean was trying to conquer his fear of fire and actually yes. ended up in a relationship with Scorch. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Also, I got my timeline wrong. It wasn't a Day of Judgment that was followed by Joker's Last Laugh. Day of Judgment was followed by Young Justice Sins of Youth. Joker's Last Laugh, that came after Our Worlds at War. Oh, and Our Worlds at War was the one with Imperiex. Yes. And wasn't that, in some circles, referred to as World War Three? Yes. Which was weird because we'd already had World War Three in the pages of JLA. I think DC have done World War Three about five times at this point. Maybe it's like when Apple brings out a new version of iOS. And yes, we might be on iOS 10, but hmm. uh, you might be on 10.1 or 10.2. These might be different iterations of the same edition of World War Three. Potentially. I know that they did do World War Three as like a mini halfway through... It was either halfway through 52 or Countdown. I forget which one, but it tied in. And Oh, God, they did, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of this would be forgiven if there was like a decade or two between these happening. Yeah. Sometimes it's like a handful of years. It's wild. Sometimes they just happen months apart. It's like when Marvel did Civil War and like within two months of Civil War ending, World War Hulk was starting. Well, that, yeah, God, I've got to say, like, that was kind of like the nadir for me of Marvel events. I'm not saying it's bad. <laughs> I just mean, like, bad in terms of, like, the sheer quantity and it just being overwhelming. Civil War? Yeah, I, well, I think Civil War was, like, the downward slope, to be honest, because then it was, like, every, if not every year, like, every, less than a year, there was a new event, a new status quo. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think Civil War is the one that really opened the floodgates to be... I know House of M came before it, but it felt like Civil War was the one that sort of was the template for how events have been done ever since. What I will say in its favour is there were a huge number of tie-ins, but it didn't fe they didn't feel so relevant. Most of the tie-ins felt like they were actually telling an interesting side of the story, and if you did read everything, you would get a complete story in a way that a lot of other tie-ins just do not. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I agree there were way too many, and it did start a trend, but in terms of the issues themselves, I think Civil War is one of the better ones. It, yeah, it's interesting. I have a couple of minor issues with the story, but I can't deny that in terms of the, the way it affected the status quo, it actually had more impact than most. You know, mm. more impact than, shall we say, 
Siege, which yeah. came came later. And and frankly, I could I could if I never see Norman Osborn again, uh, <laughs> it will be too soon. I mean, like something like talking about events, like something about Fifty Two. While a, a a bit of a a weird mixed bag of an experiment, hmm. I, I I do find the whole one year later concept that DC did at that point quite interesting, like an interesting way to address fluid time moving in comics and the fact that nobody seems to age. I was. I can't remember why, but I was at that time collecting the Superman books. Mm. And so when they did the one year later stuff, and that's when Kurt Busiek came on board, I think, the Superman books. And, and it was Busiek, Jeff Johns, and someone else. I can't remember who now. Someone all, else was writing them. Sorry, well. all on the same book or because there were still like four different, super- different Superman books? Mm. Um, but I think I, I remember really enjoying the one year later stuff in the Superman books, certainly. Well, it's it's it's, yeah... I don't know. It's a problem that's never going to go away, is it? The the endlessly shifting timeline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because what on earth do you do? And I I I I don't envy. I know I'm being quite critical here, but I don't envy the various companies for having to have some kind of continuity, or uh, while also trying to understand how, say, oh I don't know, if Batman's only been in business five years. How has he achieved everything he has? How has he got through like seventeen robins? You <laughs> yeah. know, that's careless. I, I should say. I, I feel like at some point you just have to accept defeat and do a hard reboot and just start over. I think it's the only thing you can do. And I think Marvel and DC are just clinging on by their fingertips, going, "No, the fans will hate it." And yes, some will, but mm. I think it would also actually end up getting them a lot of new fans and. You know, like how many times have the Spider-Man movies rebooted in the last twenty years, and people still accept them and watch them and enjoy them? So, yeah, you know, is is the alternative to just dial it back a bit? I I know that I know that's I'm, I'm just I I don't have a right answer here. I'm just curious. Like, mm. could you just quietly stop doing world-changing events? And I, this might be really limiting to the creative team, but not developing the character too much. I know that sounds stupid, but like, obviously Superman has been around for, well, crying out loud, nearly, we're getting close to 100 years, yeah. and which is insane. And it's like, how do you keep that character fresh? How do you keep... And you're always at this war where like, over the course of a decade, they're going to push the character in a new direction. You're going to get, like, Electric Blue Superman or something, which is maybe a little gimmicky. Glorious, glorious, but gimmicky. But then some people are going to like it, then people are going to get bored, they're going to go back to the status quo, and you're always just kind of flip-flopping between the two of shaking it up, going back to what's safe. Do, do, do we try and address... Like, do we just try and say, well, let's not do changes and just... Superman is always saving Metropolis and he's not going to get any older because he's a fictional character. Hmm. I I don't know. I really don't know what the answer is, but I don't know. I mean, clearly, I don't think things are going to change anytime soon because Marvel and DC are very set in their ways and they feel like what they're doing is working for them. So, 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll hemorrhage some readers, they'll get other new readers in, and things will just keep going the way they're going. And, you know, if it works for people, then fair enough to them. I'm out, and that's fine for me. And I, I guess... You know, when when it can be a new story, but Spider-Man's getting a new costume. Yeah. And I go, well, hang on a minute. I can remember the last two times this happened. I guess that's not the point. I guess that yeah. new story isn't for me, because for somebody, that's going to be the first new costume. Yeah. And for everybody else, it's going to be another unlockable in that, in that Ubisoft game. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still haven't played. No, me neither. No, no. It's it is wild though because I here I am being cynical, and yet I love the Scarlet Spider costume. Um, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying I love it, <laughs> and I love um, the Ben Riley Spider-Man costume. That's shameful, isn't it? I I think the Ben Riley costume worked on May Parker Spider Girl. Um. Yeah, it was never as good as <laughs> as the original for me though. I I actually really liked it. I know I know it's the nineties, but uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but yeah, I did like it. There was something very. It felt like an update that didn't throw the original idea completely yeah. out. And he had like half books, PJ. <laughs> have we have we talked about that? We haven't. No. How do? You, does John? I I forget. Does John still have like crazy turnovers on his boots? I can't. There's some some. Art- no, I don't think so. No, that's a shame. Who drew it like that? I'm suddenly I'm suddenly doubting myself. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, we're going to flick through the issue we'll be looking at today to see how his turnovers are. Yeah, now I'm desperately trying to find John. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm just getting old now. I'm forgetting things because, yeah. When, oh yeah, no, no, it was um, it was old Porter, yeah, hmm. yeah, that's a classic. God, I love a weird boot. You know where you stand there <laughs> in the boots. Uh, indeed. Um, so PJ, sorry, a nice digression aside. Um, We're good at those. Where on earth are we in the world of JLA? We're not on Earth. We're <gasps> on Ran. What? That's, that's random. No, John. No, don't do that. You're better than that. Surely, random is actually just the name of like the land that they control. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Thank you, thank you. Um, but issue twenty-one of JLA. No, no, wait, no. Dial that back. Yes, issue twenty-one of JLA. Strange new world. Yeah, so we're basically going to pick up where the last issue left off, where Adam Strange, who's gone a bit crazy, has taken the Justice League prisoner with uh, his friends, the Antarans, who are alien slave-type psychic people, who the League thought they had an out, but John has betrayed them. Yes, um, because poor Adam Strange is not in his right mind. It can be it can be forgiven, arguably. I mean, who hasn't put their friends into servitude uh, every now and then? Um, but John... You know what? 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 What on earth? The jolly green giant. This isn't right. I'm. I'm being. Uh, oh, there it is. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> I can't edit that out. It's just going to happen now. Uh, can we? Can we fix? Uh, okay, hang on. We let's claw this back. Uh, uh, PR. 
uh, public relations nightmare. Um, oh, that's weird roadworks you're having outside, PJ. <laughs> I burped. Oh God! Right. Well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you got that load off your chest. Um, but yes, where were we, PJ? Um, the league have been pressed into service uh, to restore Ran to its former glory. Yeah, in fact, our opening page of the issue does a lovely little recap. So basically says they've been there for four days. They've been working around the clock, restoring Rand to how it should have been before all the wars and natural disasters they had. And it would be a lovely thing to do, except that they have been enslaved. Here's an awkward question for you, PJ. Um, Four days in costume. Uh, Now, Superman, he doesn't sweat. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, can regulate his body temperature. He's going to be fresh as a daisy, you know. Um, Kyle is essentially wearing a wongsy yep. that uh, ends at his neck. I imagine the, the ring would do some, some sort of cleaning job. Because <laughs> his costume's a ring construct, isn't it? So Oh, is it? Well, you see, it's, it's, bla- it's black and white, PJ, so, you know. It's Steel's armour that, that worries me. Well, at least Skeel is going to have hatches. You know, what, you know what I'm kind of saying. Like, yeah, yeah. There's there's ready access there. I just feel it's one thing to be a superhero. It's another thing to spend four days and in costume and to need the bathroom occasionally. And I'm just saying, I don't see a zip on Kyle's costume because it's a ring construct. Do you reckon he could beam the urine out of his out of his bladder using the ring? He could probably create a device that would extract it. Could he create a device that would distract him? Like he can't <laughs> he can't relieve himself, but he can make the ring make him ignore the pressure in his bladder. And make his costume appear like he hadn't peed himself. <laughs> well it's dark, isn't it? It's gonna it's gonna hide a lot of sins. Um <laughs> I would not want to be a white lantern in this scenario, is what I'm saying. That's fair. Um but yeah, um, uh, uh, as you say, uh, a catch-up. Uh, the League are looking increasingly dishevelled. You know, uh, there's scubble, there's sweat marks, there's dirt, that sort of thing. I like to see. I like to see a superhero whose costume's got a bit worn. You know, mm. you know, you know, they're living. Yeah, and we get the uh, the second page opens with a large panel says prisoners of their former allies Adam Strange and the treacherous Martian Manhunter, and even Jean's cape you can see dirt and stuff at the bottom of of Jean's cape and on Adam's boots. So, you know, these guys have been working hard. And did we establish in an earlier issue whether Jean's clothing is part of him? I think it must be. Yeah. So, is it like hair? Do you suppose? Uh, by which yes. I, by which I mean, there are scenarios in this series where he rips the cape off and throws it away. Yeah, that's true. That's not like losing your foot, is what I'm saying. I imagine it was, it's like shedding skin cells. Yeah, he can probably. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Like he can generate, he can generate new ones. He's like a time. snake. He's like or a, a snake. spider. Yeah. Well, in PJ, he's like a treacherous snake. <laughs> because he's, yeah, he is. he's turned on our heroes um but yeah and 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 yeah even though he has a soiled uh, uh cape he is looming over our heroes along with adam strange and the entirings looking quite sinister 
And here's where we get our title, Strange New World, and our credits. So Mark Wade, guest writer, Arnie Jorgensen, guest penciler, David Mikis and Doug Hazelwood, guest inkers, Kurt Hathaway, letterer, Pat Garrahy, colorist, heroic age separations, L.A. Williams, assistant editor, and Dan Raspler, editor. And then we get a lovely roll call of the league, and they all look a bit grumpy. Uh, and Except the Ryan, he's got rabies. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, he does look grumpy. I mean, that's probably fair. Um, he also looks... Um, like he's about to lose his mind, basically. Which we have established, because, um, yeah, uh, his rage is growing. He's got a bit of an anger problem. Yeah. But we have a moment between Steel and Barda, where Steel comments that Adam and Jean are, seem to be very tight, and Barda says, well, Jean's always been honourable. Could Adam have something over him, some kind of hold? Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. They just don't really know. Um I, it's it's basically just a little bit of exposition at the moment. Like, um, Steel is just filling us in, basically. I mean, he points out that the two of them, Adam Strange and John, have a certain kinship because they've both lost families. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't explain why he would um, betray them. Uh, and also, Wally is being um, tortured, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So because he lent his speed to uh, Superman, Wonder Woman and Jean last issue to try and help free the slaves and beat Adam Strange, uh, Wally is now being punished and he's basically trapped in some kind of energy beam and seems to be being electrocuted. It doesn't look fun. No, no. And I, uh, given given what, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do any spoilers at this point, but given what ultimately pangs out in this issue... Um, it kind of shows that Wally and the League have the patience of saints, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, most of them. And uh, Barda, uh, just before we, we go on to that, PJ, Barda makes a point, and I want to highlight it because you're going to be hearing a lot of it. This prison is worse than the planet Tacron Galtos. Tacron Galtos, everybody. Remember that. Steel's going to remember it, because he now thinks, again with Tacron Galtos, oi! And then he's looking at Orion, who has... He's, he's got spit flying out of his mouth, snot dripping down his nose. He is... Orion's struggling. And I know we said it last uh, issue, but I love how Arnie Jorgensen draws Orion. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he... Again, you don't get too many red-headed superheroes, and the fact that he looks completely different to Wally. You know, essentially just another white guy with short hair. Uh, is a credit to to the writer. He's not just like an action man. Uh, sorry, a credit to the artist. Not just another action man with a different hairstyle. He, he looks like a completely different dude. It's very cool. Jorgensen draws him huge. Like, bigger than I think Porter draws him. Orion is massive in these two issues. And I love it. I think it adds so much power to the character, having him be this huge guy. Yeah, he's just, like a, big, he's just a big chunky boy, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and um, it, it, straining at his, his monstrous biceps, we see uh, the mother box, which is kind of strapped to his arm, basically. Yeah, and it's continuing to ping and ping and ping as it works to try and stop Orion's rage from taking him over. And and Steel sort of looking at it and starts thinking and there's there's comment that Steel is he's adept at analysing technology and 
He sort of he understands how it's regulating Orion's mood, and to quell his anger, it must be manipulating his mind. Uh yes, and uh, I do like how, as I guess Steel has some kind of revelation, it punches in on each word right on Steel's eyes. He goes, "Yeah, manipulates his mind." Dental plan. <laughs> and also, it's a small thing. And I, I think, um, I want to say that Howard Porter introduced this, but I really like Steele's eyes. Do you know what I mean? Like, he always has, like, a re- like a really weird kind of, like, uh, filter over his irises. Mm. And Arnie Jorgensen has drawn it here as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it, it looks really cool. I really like it, too. Uh, and uh, speaking of um, things that look cool, uh, Orion basically hulks out, for lack of a better word, and uh, is not only like ripping great big chunks of metal apart with his hands, uh, is is literally like biting the electro whips which are being slung at him by the Antarangs. Yeah, he shouts, "The Scion of Darkseid will be free!" And uh, Bardas starting to worry now. She's like, "Oh God, I was afraid of this." Didn't think Orion could be contained for long, but his mother box should still be calming him. But then they notice his mother box is gone. And while Orion continues ripping into the Antarans, Steel is hiding elsewhere, looking closely at said mother box. Yeah, and um, where do you stand on mother boxes and how they look, PJ? Because they're often depicted as like a perfect cube. But they can also be, well, this is, I guess, kind of like the dimensions of a tablet phone, really. I think mother boxes can be many different shapes and sizes. I mean, that's probably fair, to be honest. Um, but yeah, but uh, Steel is is literally talking to the mother box. Not with words so much, but kind of more with emotions and feelings, really. Because it's a very smart computer. Yeah, it almost looks like he's stroking it in this panel, <laughs> but... He says, I figured this thing could play with the brain. But, in fact, he's, he gets the impression that it's actually wanted to, but it's been using all of its power to try and calm Orion, that it hasn't been able to actually shield thoughts, serve as a telepathic shield against the Antarans. Mm. But now, that's exactly what it's doing for Steel. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, you know, maybe if Steel had had more time, he may have... Because, again, we've seen, we know there's evidence of, like, mother boxes doing incredible things and interfacing with technology. I mean, if he'd felt like it, he probably could have, like, plugged it into his armour or something like that. But as it happens, it gives him just the opening he needs to chuck his hammer and essentially destroy the little device which Adam Strange was holding. Which Oh, well, it's not just any little device. It's the device for controls for slave collars. Which is keeping the League in check. So it is smashed to smithereens, and then Adam and John fly towards Steel, who starts worrying because he's basically going, great, Jean the pyrophobe has a mad on, and me without a match. Oh, no, I hope someone comes quick. <laughs> um, also, Steel's hammer uh, looking a lot like Mjolnir in this particular adventure. Yeah, Whereas- he's got that shorter handle now, hasn't he? Do you suppose um, it's the same hammer and it's got like an est- an extendo stick? Or... Yes, that's okay, exactly what I think. You don't think he has like a, a whole, I don't know, cabinet just full of hammers, you know, for different no. o- different occasions? No, I think one hammer will do steel because he can do so many different things with it. 
Okay, fine. You know, I'm just saying you're not really going to come. You're not going to come with me on this adventure, PJ, into the land what, of to, ha- hammer cataloging and to Steele's hammer cupboard. I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I've got that album actually. <laughs> um, but just as uh, John and Adam Strange are racing towards Steel, um, a well, two red beams lash out and uh, cause a fire to erupt in front of John, who just screams. It's Superman using his heat vision for the first time since he turned back into regular old Superman from being the electric Superman. So this is something electric Superman wouldn't have been able to do. Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. Hadn't even thought of that. Although, I mean, yes, admittedly, no heat vision, no escape, lifetime of servitude. But on the other hand, looking pretty sweet. I know. I know. It's really what's more important, you know, freedom or looking snazzy. Um, yeah, and, uh, but again, doesn't look terrible in the, the original Big Blue, um, <laughs> but he, but he, uh, him and Kyle, uh, just make light work of the Entarings, because, let's be brutally honest here, this is just, this would normally just be a warm-up for the League. Yeah. A bunch of tentacle skeleton people. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's already over, you know, Superman and the League are just like, yeah, Adam, look, okay, you're not well. We can get you the help you need, but we are going to chain you up with this piece of rebar, which I'm just going to bend around your limbs. Because Superman. Because Superman, yeah. You I, do you do get the feeling that now that classic Superman is back, Mark Wade and Arnie Jorgensen are almost just showing off with all the different ways they can use his classic powers and, and have you go, oh, yeah, this does feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, would you have said that... Um, Electric Blue Superman was not as physically strong as classic Superman. Yes. Right. Yeah, I think he he had super strength, and I think he could use his powers in ways to amplify that. Like, we saw that when he was fighting with Asmodel. God, but, so good. Uh, in that <laughs> glorious panel. But I think just in terms of raw strength, it, he's not quite on the level that he is now. No, no. And as he often said when he was Electric Blue... Um, he hadn't had he hadn't had a lot of time to get to know his new powers, so he yeah. was still learning. Whereas, yeah, he's been doing this for years; like he's totally in his element here. Yeah, completely, completely. And so he ties up crazy old Adam Strange, and Adam starts ranting about he broke loose too soon. We're at their mercy, and Superman says, "Look, we're fine. We can handle a few dozen Intarans." And Adam crazily says, "A few dozen," and then the next panel. His face just changes completely, and all signs of craziness are gone. It's it's a really, it, it's surprising how much Arnie Jorgensen gets into his face in these two panels, as Adam calmly says, "How about a few thousand? And I get the severity of the situation, but I would also be thinking, if I was Superman, I'd be like, "Yes, a few, yeah, a few thousand. Strange, I can handle it. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? I'm, I'm Superman. Come on." <laughs> Excuse me while I move the planet to to a safer place. Um, But yeah, and suddenly we realise the double, double cross or the the truth behind it all that um, Jean knows the truth as well, that uh, this was all part of a plan, if you will. And they've all been on the same side all along. Yeah. 
and Jean says, your rebellion has put the planet in danger. And Kyle creates a baseball bat and says, Jean, back off. <laughs> and I just love the idea that Kyle's going to take on the Martian Manhunter with a baseball bat. You see, that's marginally better, right? I somehow thought he'd made like a, a classic London Bobby's truncheon, <laughs> which is probably not where Kyle would have gone with no. that. <laughs> no, but I prefer that. Just needs to make the hat as well. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, Strange... Uh, who is suddenly completely lucid and calm, despite being wrapped in rebar, and despite Orion literally hulking over him, um, basically says, "Look, we've got, we've got. <laughs> look, look, I'll tell you everything because we've got nothing to lose. Because in about twenty minutes, a massive invasion fleet of Entarings is gonna break, is going to appear around the planet and just destroy us all." Uh, and he starts filling it in, filling it all in, basically um, everything we missed. And, um, yeah, uh, so, uh, if, I mean, yeah, the Reader's, Reader's Digest version is that uh, Adam Strange's wife, Alana, died in childbirth. And apparently um, that doesn't quite mean the same to a Ranian as it might mean to an Earthling, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, so she was pronounced dead by a doctor from Earth who was actually unfamiliar with Ranian physiology. So later on, Alana's father, Sardath, finds what's described as an ember of life still smouldering within her and sort of just takes her body away, spending a couple of years travelling through space trying to find someone who could help revive her. And he finds the Entarans. But they're evil. Yeah, and I mean... Obviously, um, Sardaf, you know, Sardaf, I apologise, kind of um, grieving, you know, maybe not thinking straight. At the same time, um, like, could these guys be the bad guys? I don't want to judge, but they are literal skull people with tentacle arms. Like, they they look about as sinister as as you could imagine. And um, because uh, there was Zeta radiation in Alana's body... Uh, they were able to analyse it and suddenly were thinking, ooh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had access to instantaneous teleportation across the universe? Wouldn't that make a hell of wouldn't it make it a hell of a lot easier to conquer and enslave all known life? Isn't that isn't that weird? I, it would, yeah. Be convenient. So Yeah, they're gonna go to Ran and get all this teleportation technology. None of which, of course, Adam Strange is aware of at this point. Instead, he's got a, a funny headband called a Menticizer, which he's about to put on his daughter's head, and it will help teach her to talk. So I assume school on Ran is done through telepathic headbands. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't know what the private school system is like. Maybe, maybe that's how it works. <laughs> on Ran. On Ran, maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, Suddenly, he he is shocked because he's gone through the grieving process as as horrible as it was. Uh, but he he suddenly gets a, a call from his dead wife, who's like, "Hey, I'm I'm alive and I'm stranded, and you'd need to beam me to you using a Zeta beam or a Zeta ray." And uh, he does, only to find that uh, they've been tricked. Yeah. So instead of Alana, it's as many Entarans as could fit in the Zeta Beam. Uh, luckily, Adam did have a hunch, so he adapted the Menticizer to guard his brain against telepathic scans and secreted it in his 
Is it a would you call that a hat or a cowl? Uh, it's a cowl, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like a balaclava. <laughs> anyway, he can't be telepathicked. That's not a word. He can't be read <laughs> telepathically by the Entarans because of this mentizer. They sort of scan him and they just sort of get a garbled mess. So he pretends to be crazy just so that they will think that's what they're reading. Yeah. Um and and so I mean that's it in a nutshell basically uh Adam has been faking his madness and he's been buying time basically like um he in pretending to be crazy he's been selling the idea to the entarings that wouldn't it be nicer if um we rebuilt this planet you know because ran has been devastated what if we spent the time making ran back to its former glory and then you can have it as a nice planet with zeta ray technology not just you know a, a kind of damaged husk basically <laughs> yeah and the entirens go for it and they don't sense a threat because of the mentizer even when he drafts in the league and he says he couldn't tell them the truth because they would get the secret from their minds, but he could tell Jean, who could then shield his own mind with his own telepathy, and he had him as a spy to keep the League in line. But that hasn't really worked, because they didn't count on Steel co-opting Orion's mother box. And this was apparently all... And and despite all this, despite this kind of, frankly, Batman-esque level of planning and subterfuge, there's more to it, because... As Strange desperately points out, they still have one chance for his plan to work. And um, the League is still in the dark as to what that plan is. And I guess before he can elucidate, uh, the Entarings attack from, I guess, the few dozen that were on the planet just kind of leap at the League. Yeah. Yeah. And Adam basically shouts for Superman and Green Lantern to forget the fight and finish the building that they started. They need to move one particular spire seven degrees to the north exactly. And Kyle says, we can't leave the others, to which Superman, and this is pure Superman, I love this, just as I've known Adam Strange a long time. If he says he has something up his sleeve, that's enough for me. Come on. I mean, and again, um, I mean, I'm reminded of another moment in the series later on where Superman uh, is punched in the face We'll get to that. Don't want to spoil it too much. Uh, and he still shakes hands with the person who does it afterwards. Yep. And I think... Pla <laughs> doesn't Plastic Man say something like, I'm never going to be that nice, am I? Like, I'm yeah. never going to be as good as yeah. that guy. And and That's Flash, right. Flash also an example here, because not only... He's been tortured. Like, in addition to... I, ho I hope Strange put it on, like, a low setting. You know, at least. When he was, like, electrocuting Flash endlessly. Yeah. Yeah, but Flash is on it. Yeah, you know, I think there's this thing with most of the League where if it's good enough for Superman, it's good enough for the rest of them. So Flash is also on side. You see, I'm ne I'm like Plastic Man here. I'm never going to be that good because I'd be like, <laughs> strange. I get it. All right. You know, master plan. Very, very clever. I'm impressed. However, we are going to have words about the torture, you know, at a later date. <laughs> you know, quiet words in private. But, um, but yeah, uh, and Orion and... Steel and the League finally get to, uh, you know, release some of that anger they've had on the Antarans, who, frankly, are committing suicide by trying to attack the League. Yeah, 
So Adam asks Steel to get him to the statue of Alana and asks Flash to bring Aaliyah, his daughter, to him. And then the Antarans start fading away because Zeta Beams, they stop working after a while, they wear off, and you return to your point of origin. But with the Antarans fading out, Adam realises that means the League won't be too far behind. Yeah, and so there's there's a ticking there's a ticking clock here. And uh, Kyle, uh, we see him kind of manoeuvre... Oh, Superman's there as well, sorry. But they're manoeuvring what looks like a giant hunk of crystal, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, and I'm always amazed. This happens a lot, actually, in Justice League comics. And I think it's because... If you are super strong, super fast, can navigate the planet or even space, you maybe have a better understanding of degrees and and and, <laughs> yeah. and, and innate speeds and stuff. Because if if Strange was like, Kyle, you need to move that that tower exactly seven degrees to the north, I'd be like, seven degrees of what? Like, is are degrees the same on this planet as they are on Earth? I mean, Adam's human, so you can Im- imagine they're talking the same degrees. I just think it's that Superman is is really good at maths. You know what? Yeah, I mean, not even not even joking, not even being facetious. Like he's super at everything. Not yeah. just he's not just strong. Um, yeah, and uh, as if you know that it's it's about to get weirder because um, there is a giant lens, which is, <coughs> for lack of a better word, like a magnifying glass as like a sculpture and strange is like you need to tie me to it basically yeah so wonder woman hippolyta she does she uses the lasso to bind adam strange to the lens as he says he was never reconstructing ran not exactly that was all camouflage what he was doing was hiding key structures laced with circuitry and transformers in key places they had to be laid with precision while appearing to be totally innocent because the entire planet Ran is now one giant Zeta Beam projector, and Adam Strange is its lens. And that is because, uh, as as PJ pointed out, uh, Zeta teleportation is only temporary, but clearly at some point in the past, Adam was made capable of staying on Ran permanently to be of his family, because his body contains mega Zeta radiation, which allows him to stay permanently in a place. So... He is planning to draw the mega radiation out of his body into the Antarangs to permanently send them away. That is his master plan. The problem is his, his wife, Alana, and her father, Sardath, are still on the Antaran ship. So the beam's about to fire and Superman has to race it to the ship to free them from the Antarans and bring them back. And as Superman says, well, I'm not faster than light. And at which point Flash says, well, I'm faster than light. And Adam says, well, can you lend him your speed? So this was set up in the last issue, Flash lending his speed, reminding us that's something he can do so that when he does it here, we all go, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like a, it's like a battery. He's like a rechargeable battery, I imagine. <laughs> he, he can just give a little speed. Uh, and I suppose, you know, Kyle, poor Kyle, gets left out a little bit because he's like, hey, I can fly in space, but <laughs> doesn't doesn't get invited. Um, he could have given, Super- well, no, I was going to say he could have given Superman the ring, but the ring only works for Kyle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so but Kyle is kind of incredulous because he's like, wait, you planned all of this? This is insane. Like, this is like, uh, this is, I don't think even Batman would have come up with this level of, of, of madness. 
And Strange just goes, well, if I'd contacted the seven soldiers of victory, it would be a gamble. I brought the Justice League. That's a plan. He's not wrong. I do love that line. (laughs) It is a fair point, actually. Um, And yeah, the master plan is coming together because the Entaran ship, or fleet rather, just kind of suddenly appears uh, above the planet. And yeah, um, Superman in a beam of light is now racing... well, literally racing the Zeta Rainbow. The Zeta, I can't speak, PJ. Literally outracing <laughs> the Zeta Ray Beam, which is erupting out of Adam Strange and out of the planet towards the fleet. We should point out before that that Adam Strange has also said he built a relay into the transmitter to reroute reception somewhere else so that the Entirans don't just get beamed down to Ran. Does. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Because otherwise that's where Zeta Beams bring you. They just bring you to Ran. Do they only bring you to Ran? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I suppose that explains why the Antarings would want a nice version of Ran. Yeah. Because that would be their new home. Huh. Yeah, I think they can teleport you from Ran to other places if you do. Like Adam's done here, he's managed to reroute it using the technology. But otherwise, naturally, they just bring you to Ran. Wow. Okay. And again... I probably would have, I would have let the story off there. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded if they hadn't said that. But um, uh, Wade doing due diligence there to to keep the fans <laughs> happy and say no, 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 I'm aware how it works. Um, as over the course of two pages, we see Superman literally out out racing light to smash into the Entaran ship. I can only imagine disintegrate two Antarangs with his rapidly moving fists yeah. and grab Sardath and, and Alana and just fly back out of the ship. I mean, there's a level of precision there which I think only Superman could have achieved. What I love about the, this second page in particular is the top panel you see the red streak of light which is Superman crashing through the ship as the blue beam, the Zeta beam, is flying towards it. You get the two panels of Superman rescuing Sardath and Alana and then you get the third panel at the bottom where the red streak of him flying into the ship is still there but now there's another red streak coming out of the ship as the blue streak is just about to hit it. I think it's a beautifully done moment just to show how quickly all this has happened. <laughs> and... Um, the payoff uh, is a a pretty damn good splash page, if I'm honest. I hadn't, uh, don't think I'd ever paid this one too much attention, but there's a lot of detail going on in it as the the Zeta beam uh, just engulfs the entire fleet. And uh, yeah, pretty dramatic shot from Arnie there of um, the mothership, I suppose, mm. just getting enveloped by this light. Yeah, and then we cut back to the planet where Steel says it worked. Where'd you send them? And Adam, who has been paying attention, says, Barda will appreciate this. I beamed them to Tacron Galtos. Hey, kids, remember remember Tacron Galtos? Which is a, a prison on or near Apocalypse uh, where parademon guards are waiting for the Entirans to appear. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're... I'm sure couldn't have, ha- couldn't have happened to a nicer bunch of... <laughs> wait, wait, did they... Did their ship not beam in as well? Uh, yes, somewhere else. 
Somewhere, okay, fine. Yeah, well, let's not worry about that. Um, so as two groups of very unpleasant uh, individuals, uh, which is probably the the most uh, BBC way of uh, describing this <laughs> scenario, um, deal with each other, uh, the League should be celebrating. Um, however, as Flash suddenly realises, oh, wait, no. You drew the Mega Zeta radiation out of yourself which means you're about to be sent back home to Earth just because you should be reunited with your wife. Yeah, so Superman lands with Alana and Sardath in his arms and Adam runs over to greet them and very romantically kisses his wife and, oh, it's, it's lovely, as the League then start to fade out. And Steele says, oh, show's over, and Hippolyta just says to him, quiet, give them their moment. Yeah, and, you know, um, as Adam fades away, uh, he he says, you know, look, we've we've done this before. We've spent time apart. I just have to wait for the next beam and the next ride home. And and uh, he's gone. And that, yep. that means I, I do have to ask PJ, how often can they generate a Zeta beam? I can't remember. Um I know it was a thing for a while where Adam would travel back and forth. I think it might be every couple of months or something. I'm not 100% sure, though. Mm. Yeah, and I guess at some point... Because, again, I think we talked about it, but like, I don't think Adam Strange has made a lot of guest appearances, particularly at this time, but may not have had his own ongoing series. There probably are other appearances before it, but the next time I can remember him showing up that I read is the Ranthanagar War. Mm. Um in the build-up to Infinite Crisis, and he was back on Rand by the time of that. And he plays a fairly significant part in Fifty-Two as well. Oddly yes, enough. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot of fun in those in those stories actually because he's been blinded, and it's a similar thing yes. actually. He's stranded on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so you know, suddenly everything reverts back to normal, and the League are teleported back to. The Watchtower, uh, where presumably they, they've been gone for four days. And uh, Zariel and Plastic Man run in because it's like, what the hell? <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> we've been trying to find you. Yep. Zariel says, we've been searching in the galaxy for U8, which is his only line in all four of these issues written by Mark Wade. Uh, and Plastic Man got a line in. But Plastic Man was in the last two issues oh, as well, you're right, uh, the did. other story. Yeah. And... Again, it's it's weird because we're never going to see the wonderful kind of buddy cop adventure that Plastic Man and Zoriel had over these four days. Oh, that would have been a great mini. Because, like, we're starting... Because, again, it, it, it it's like the bromance that's never really addressed is the fact that those two spend so much time together over the course yeah. of the series. It's kind of wonderful, actually. Really unlikely yeah. friendship. Yeah, but Kyle says, eight of us, where's, where's Adam? And Superman says, well, remember, the beam returns you to your point of origin. Adam's on Earth somewhere, alone. Yeah, and, you know, Flash takes a moment to say, wow, you know, like, one guy, you know, alone against an entire race of invaders. He's maybe even be better than bat Batman. And, uh, yeah, and he goes like, wow, but, you know, to be separated from your family, that's really rough. Like, you know, isn't that right, Jean? Jean, and everyone turns, and there is no sign of Jean. And we cut to Earth, somewhere in, in a desert, where Adam Strange is sat on a rock on his own, staring up at the stars, 
And then Jean appears and puts his hand on his shoulder and they look at the sky together. The end. Like, literally, it does say the end in, it, big, it in big red letters there. Um, yeah, it's actually a really nice last page. I, I've got to be honest here. The, the whole ending, the last scene where Adam and Alana are reunited, I, re, I reread the issue earlier this morning before we recorded today. I did feel a bit emotional. Mm, yeah. I think, it, I think Wade and Jorgensen work together really well to actually tug on the heartstrings a little bit there. It's, it's, it's really, really well done, that sequence. No, you're right. It is. It is actually. It's very nice. And and yeah, and, and suddenly like wrapping up this two-parter, but also wrapping up this little mini Wade adventure, really, yeah. that we've we've just been on. Um PJ, what what do you think of the issue? So I think that um something you said on our last episode about the first part of that storyline really struck me even more in this second part in that it feels a bit more old school mm. than what the JLA book was at that point it, it feels like the sort of story you maybe would have got in um, an 80s or early 90s JLA book for some I don't know why where that feeling comes from but it's just it's just there with me it's the use of flashbacks and captions and how the narration works I think mm. all goes together to give it that feeling but I really like it for that to be honest yeah it's weird isn't it I think I think in in all my past like read throughs of, of the run um i think i've always kind of skimmed through these four stories a little bit these four issues um because it's not that they're bad they're certainly not bad at all i've just always found it a little jarring and i, I think it compared to morrison's style which again it's 23 years old now like it's an old series but feels very modern like feels it was a very new way of telling a superhero kind of adventure you know very experimental weird narration weird perspectives and yeah and this does feel these these have felt like such classic adventures be it the 80s be it the 70s or whatever yeah and yeah i think i always just found that a little jarring but i have gained a bit more appreciation for them in 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 revisiting it with you pj Weirdly, I think I would have said before that of the two stories, the uh, Julian September probability machine one was my favourite. But actually revisiting them, I think I enjoyed the Ran one a bit more. I think I did as well, oddly enough. And in a weird way, it's, it's actually as much as, you know, obviously I've enjoyed Howard Porter's work on the series and will continue to to uh, enjoy it. Um, it's actually nice spending some time with Arnie Jorgensen. I think he does he 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 does interesting things with the characters here. There's an element of his artwork that is I think he's perfectly suited to this two-parter in particular because something about what he does feels kind of Kirby to me mm. in not it doesn't look particularly Kirby but I think it's more just in the way he draws action shots and in the sort of slight musculature of the characters and the heaviness of some of them like his orion for example um and i think that that sort of because obviously kirby as we all know is the godfather of of cosmic <laughs> comics and and that sort of style you know the new yeah. gods the the eternals all that sort of thing and i think jorgensen following in kirby's footsteps effectively here was the perfect person to draw this story no i agree i agree i i um it's very much Porter's show, you know, this run. But um, the guest appearances are, you know, are are, are nice, actually. Um, uh, 
Arnie Jorgensen commends commends himself wonderfully and and did a great job with um, Prometheus, you know, yes. uh, back in back in the day as well. Although I have to say, I think uh, out of all the issues he illustrated, I do think that Prometheus knew uh, was it New Year's Evil. I think is my favourite one of his. I think something I think that he's proven he's really really good at in both that. Prometheus origin story and then this issue here is drawing emotional moments mm. like you get the the sequence in the Prometheus one shot where Prometheus witnesses his parents being gunned down and the heartbreak of this child and you feel it and it's the same with Adam Strange and Alana being reunited here so temporarily and then ripped apart again and again it feels really emotional and I think for a comic artist it can be very difficult to pull those emotions out of a reader sometimes when you're just looking at drawings on a page that are static and not moving you, you don't necessarily get the emotion that they're trying to get across but i think jorgensen's really good at it mm. no 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 he is absolutely um i very underrated artist i think um not a name you hear banded about very often mm. nowadays and I, I think it's a shame because it's clearly very very talented um and yeah it's, as you say that moment at the end because again it, it's a it's a story where maybe maybe cheesy is the wrong word because it, it's almost doing this kind of retro yeah. space adventure sort of thing which i think was more kind of evident in the last issue yeah because the whole deception the whole kind of strange being quote-unquote insane and you know the league not really knowing what's going on um I maybe at times found that a little frustrating in the in the previous issue because there was a lot mm. of moments where I, I feel a lot of moments where characters are kind of like describing the situation to the reader just to kind of like drive really drive that home. Whereas like it's it's actually strange how in this issue how quickly that deception is dropped, you know, because they're they're right into it and then suddenly for me at least once it's like oh actually here's the master plan here's what we're doing and suddenly i think i think the story flows a little better for me because suddenly there's like this um this urgency to it yeah. you know as the master plan has to come into effect and and yes you're right like the the actual kind of um emotional heart of it is strange and his family and it's, it's weird in a way because you can tell that mark wade has a lot of respect for the character and it's weird, like the, the the whole story was really just a vector to kind of tell like a love letter to Adam Strange. That's it. It could easily be a two part Adam Strange story, guest starring the Justice League, mm. and you know that would still it would still feel like it would be the exact same story in an Adam Strange book. I think. Yeah, it's 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 weird actually because yeah, like again, I've gained a bit of a new, I've gained a greater appreciation for it in in going over it again right now and that final page with jean and strange is lovely the final moments with uh, adam and um alana genuinely lovely as well yeah and for me it's kind of offset slightly by a couple of maybe oh, i don't know a couple of maybe storytelling beats which i again i find maybe a little a, a I don't know, maybe don't quite work for me because they're not bad, but it's maybe more of a retro thing. Like the whole um, Tacron Gautos thing. Mm. It's such a weird reference 
and it, it's, it, that did feel a little clumsy. And it's, it this yeah, because it, it's not one that kind of like trips off the tongue. Uh, and the fact that like Barda has to say it in the previous issue <laughs> and in this issue, just so that at the end we get the connection of oh he sent them to Takron Galtos. Like yeah, it just felt like a little kind of a little clumsy as you say. But, yeah. But again, once you get to the actual emotional heart of the story, you're like, oh yeah, there it is. You know, I see it. I think the only bit that would stop it being something from an Adam Strange book is the opening of the first part of it where you're reintroduced to classic Superman. That would have felt weird and out of place in an Adam Strange book. But yeah, other than that, I think it's very much an Adam Strange story. It just happens to have the League in it. And the League are great in it. In fact, one thing that really struck me is how much this particular issue makes use of steel mm. and how it's steel that ends up freeing the League at the beginning. Because I know Morrison talked about how they were surprised themselves that sort of how prominent a role Steel sort of got in the league as the run went on, almost where Steel almost had a leadership position within the team. And it's, it was almost odd to me knowing that, knowing that Morrison had said that, that that starts happening here in an issue that wasn't written by Morrison mm. and that it's just something that Steel's character brings out in writers. No, I... Yeah, it's weird. I agree. And for me, at least, because I this series, uh, it just has such a, a special place in my heart. I've always seen Steel as a leaguer. And I've always seen Steel as being like a very integral part of the team. As you say, like a leader, you know, several times he takes mm. command of the league. So for me, like he 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 has every right to be there and is a, is a really worthwhile addition to the team. I'm kind of amazed that other creators be it like i don't know in, in comics or film even haven't lent into that like that we've not seen steel become more of a a character in other media well, i think once morrison leaves the book and steel leaves the team i don't think he's ever rejoined the league since no, then no he's I don't, don't he's a reservist so. so he does turn up in jla avengers when they call in the reserves but other than that yeah and as you say i think that's weird it is weird it is weird because I think he's an amazing character. <laughs> like I really yeah. like him. I don't know if it's, I don't know if he if he's hurt slightly by, I don't know. Do do people think that he's derivative because he's a Superman supporting character? Maybe, maybe. Um, you know, he's he's an armored hero, and that's also been done elsewhere. So it's it's possible, but. I think the way Morrison uses him is very interesting and very different to certainly anything you would have seen from, say, Iron Man or, you know, he's, he's a very different type of character, even though they're both armoured heroes and have been paired off for that reason before. And he's he, he's got a very different attitude and personality to Superman, even though Superman is what inspired him originally to become Steel. So, yeah, I, but I, I, I guess he's underestimated maybe by some writers. And I think as a, as a credit to Morrison... And, and I guess also Wade here. Um, it's the fact that Steel is on a team with a bunch of overpowered people. And while he can fly, and while he is strong, and he has a hammer, he is neither the quickest nor the strongest. So just because you might say, well, what purpose does he serve on the team? I really like the fact that he actually solves a lot of problems with his head. You know, I think that's such a credit to him because you realise why he's on the team. It's because he's very smart and resourceful, not necessarily because he can just brute force his way out of problems. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's evident at the beginning when he just... <laughs> when did he take the mother box off of Ryan as well? That's quite sneaky. That so he's obviously sneaky. got... Uh, Got some lovely sleight of hand abilities there. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like um, he's um, in D and D terms. He's like kind of dual classing it or something. <laughs> like he he's put a few points into like rogue, you know, as well as being <laughs> yeah. like a, maybe like a homebrew kind of like artificer sort of class or something yeah, a, like that. A gunslinger. Yes. Character. Oh yeah. God would be cool. <laughs> Why haven't they D and D the JLA? That's what I want to know. One thing, though, about the story, though, that I have just thought of is um, what was Adam's plan for getting the League to tie him to the lens when they still thought he was crazy? Um, was there a point where he was going to reveal all to them and have um, Jean block them? Or could Jean could have done it. Yeah, probably. Probably. And then it would have just been, well, I guess he still would have needed Superman. No, maybe he wouldn't have done. Maybe he was going to wait for the Antarangs to land, or... It all worked out, PJ. I think I would just quite like to see the other version where it wasn't Steel that was with the team, but, like, Plastic Man, who wouldn't have had that idea to see just how it would have played out differently. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Who who else could have saved the day? Maybe... No, no, it's a later scenario where Plastic Man becomes immune to telepathy. I was just yeah. going to say, like, oh, maybe maybe he can't be hurt. No, no, he probably would have been useless. But poor Plastic Man. He would have kept their spirits up. No, he would have annoyed them. Yeah, Orion would have lost his temper much earlier. Um, But PJ, uh, this actually is uh, a sea change for us because with Wag's uh, kind of micro micro moment gone... Uh, we're back to Morrison as of next issue. Yes, we are. And oh, oh, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we've got one more two-part story coming up over the next couple of episodes, and it is one of my absolute favourite stories from Morrison's entire run. It's one of my favourite stories Morrison's ever done. If I'm being honest with you, um, it's got yeah, a hundred percent agreeing here. It's got an amazing villain. And the most surprising guest star I think I've ever come across in a comic. Yeah, and I know uh, I might have to do a tiny bit of research before the next issue in terms of timelines. Because I'm so, I'm thinking to myself now, how much time had passed since that particular character yeah. had been introduced? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I've wondered the same to the point where I, uh, a few days ago fired off a tweet to that character's creator ah. saying, hey, so when this character appeared in JLA, were you informed? Do you have any input? What's your thoughts on it? Didn't reply. I didn't think they would, but it was worth a shot. Um, did you mention that you are... Maybe you should go back to them and say, you may not have realised, but I'm something of a big deal. I'm PJ <laughs> Montgomery. <laughs> Could you... <laughs> I mean, I said I had a Justice League-themed podcast. I don't know what more you want from me. <laughs> That's... I mean, as somebody who presents a Justice League-themed podcast uh, with you, PJ, I'm well aware that saying you have a Justice League-themed podcast on the internet is probably one of the least credible things you could say to anyone. Yeah, you're right, actually. I did yeah. go about that the wrong way. Did you? Maybe you should have led with your Dark Horse publishing credit. 
Oh, okay. We're bringing that up. Well, I know you. I know you. You're a very humble man, PJ. You didn't want to mention it, but um, now it's out in the open. Yeah. So uh, the, we're recording this the Friday after Dark Horse uh, released a collection of the ser- whole series by Joe Glass, The Pride, which collects every issue of The Pride and The Pride Adventures. And I did write a short story for The Pride Adventures, which features in this omnibus book. So yes, as of this week, I am a writer with a story published in a Dark Horse book. And, uh, you know, since uh, since this announcement, PJ, have you um, have you walked with a greater spring in your step? Have, your, um, have you felt more kind of um, vibrant, uh, vigorous in, in, your, in your everyday life? The book came out on the Wednesday. I had a little bit of extra attention on the Wednesday evening, a bit of, uh, yeah, a bit of a spring in my step. And then Thursday I had to go to my day job as normal and speak to the general <laughs> public. And uh, I came crashing down to earth very quickly. <sighs> it's always a way. Well, PJ, I mean, both to myself, um, to the wider JLA community, to, to, our, to our listeners, I, you, are, you are a hero, a superstar. A font of knowledge, the second most knowledgeable um, JLA fan in the world. That's just mean. Well, it's also true. You, you you were you were right up there. You did kind of get supplanted. I did. Yeah. By Chris. I did. But you know, maybe you can claw it back. I'll try. I'll do my best. We'll, uh, uh, we'll see what references I can I can drop in. Well, I, I I'm gonna try and uh, hold my own next issue because I, I think I'm gonna have a thing or two to say. Uh, as well, because I'm I'm incredibly excited. Uh, I'm I'm flicking ahead right now, um, kind of quivering deep in my bones because, oh, it's good, it's good. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, PJ, is is there anything more to say at this point? Would you say? No, no, no. Okay, fine. Well, <laughs> it, in which case, it goes without saying. But I should uh, have a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our amazing cover artwork. And thank you also to Elliot Red for composing and performing our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And I mean, and PJ, I mean, um, we've mentioned, uh, you know, Dark Horse and Pride. Um, by the time this comes out, which will be um, a couple of weeks from now. Sorry, listener, that makes it very confusing timeline-wise. But can that be found in all good comic shops and all good and evil comic shops and chaotic and and chaotic neutral comic shops i i've genuinely i've seen photos of it in like actual normal bookshops like barnes and noble in america waterstones over here wow it's crazy real bookshops pj real ones real bookshops bricks and mortar um and you can get it on the internet and you can get it on the internet so check it out y'all you know go find go find pj's name and if you can't find it in the book, let us know because it might be. We'll have to talk to them about a printing error. <laughs> Look, yeah, go spend all your hard-earned money on like a three-hundred-page book that I wrote four pages of. <laughs> and I know it's not a competition, but you know maybe they're the best four pages in the book. Have we talked about that? I mean, they are illustrated by Chris Wildgoose, who is amazing. So, yeah. You know, again, uh, you you move in 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 special circles, PJ. Um, and if you like PJ and you'd like to kind of bask in his greatness, you can follow him on Twitter or the general social medias. Uh, his details, brackets along with mine, are in the description. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 do yourself a disservice, John. You should everyone follow John as well. 
he sometimes says things that are worth listening to. No, everyone knows what I did. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I deserve this. Um, PJ, uh, if we really have said everything we need to say, as we pass from the era of Wade back into the era of Morrison, uh, would you like to sign us off in your own unique way? I would, but as Zeta Beam's about to pull me back to my kitchen, that's where I was originally, I'm going to have some chicken. Chicken.